It's such a joy to worship the Lord with you all today. Uh, God bless us, everyone, and let us now devote ourselves to reading, to cherishing His Word that He has so graciously spoken to us. Some people don't like to talk about the book of Revelation. You know, some people don't want to hear another sermon series out of the book of Revelation, and I get it. Uh, Don't worry, I get it. You can get tired of dates and charts and spreadsheets trying to explain it. There are some crazy people out there who, when anyone sneezes, they think it's a sign from the book of Revelation about the return of Christ, or any phase of the moon could set them off. I understand uh, why some would not want to go through and uh, read Scripture and do a sermon series on the book of Revelation. So, good news for you, we're not going to. However, (laughs) however, some of you, it's just so polarizing, some of you really do want to study the book of Revelation and are very excited about it. And I tell you what, I get it. I agree. It's the Word of the Lord for us. This is God telling us what God wants us to know. It's The book of Revelation is a message of hope that God not only has set us free from sin and death, but that His plan for our lives extends on to all things, that before He created it, He knew what He was going to do, and He's going to bring everything about to a beautiful and glorious conclusion at just the right time. There's a phrase that comforts us. In the book of Revelation, repeatedly, Jesus refers to Himself as the Alpha and the Omega. The one who started it is the one who's going to bring it all to conclusion perfectly. And so, if you're the kind of person who loves reading the book of Revelation and would so love this morning a sermon series from the book of Revelation. I've got great news for you. We're doing it. Uh, We're going there. So, what I mean is, if you'd like the chapter-by-chapter sermon series through the book of Revelation, we did that several years ago, and you can go to our website or to the podcast page and search by Revelation, and I preached through the whole thing several years ago just straight through, and we talked about each piece as we went. But what we're doing right now, and that I didn't announce to you a couple of weeks ago, so we'll just kind of figure it out depending on which category you fall into, is we're looking at certain themes that appear in this book powerfully and beautifully that you need to know about. So the way we're reading through Revelation right now and talking about it isn't straight through, and it's not about all that is to come because I believe that most of what's happening in Revelation is yet to come, although the book itself says, write down. Jesus first, God says to John, write down what has been, what is, and what is to come. So, it contains all of it, Uh, what has been, what is, and what is to come. Uh, But the way we're going through is looking at certain themes in the book of Revelation that you would have missed if you skipped over this book, or if you read it just wondering what happens next and in what order it happens next. If you did that, you'd miss these beautiful portraits of who Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, is. Uh, You'd miss some of the words that the Holy Spirit has to say to the churches. You'd miss the great hope that we have for new creation. You wouldn't understand how right and good, if terrifying, is the judgment of God. And so that's what we're doing is going through thematically. And so today, likewise, there are some people who really don't 
talk about the Holy Spirit much. There's some people who, you know, pray and say, I've, I've heard, perhaps I've said it myself when I was younger, you know, let's talk today about God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. As if, not God the Holy Spirit, just God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or uh, there are those of us who perhaps for seasons in life have simply referred to Him as it, <laughs> you know, it, the Holy Spirit that's out there. There are plenty of people who aren't entirely sure about the Holy Spirit and what He's supposed to be doing and what our relationship is to Him. And to be certain, there's also plenty of folks out there who've can kind of turn you off to the fact because they're seeing the Holy Spirit all the time, you know, and the Holy Spirit's moving them in all sorts of ways every day, and it's a little perhaps out of hand for you. Whereas, on the other hand, and I, I get it, whereas on the other hand, there's some of you who are very excited to hear about the Holy Spirit and from the Holy Spirit, and I get it because I'm one of those people. This is our God who empowers us who is with us, and who is speaking to us today. So, do you want to know who this God is who is with you today and speaking to you? If you do, then let's turn to the very last passage in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. If you're with me on the Pew Bible that I'm reading out of, it's the CSB translation, and we're on page 1000. 104. You go back as far as you can. Revelation 22, verse 6. If you don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit, if you haven't heard a lot about Him, if you know Jesus Christ our Lord and the Father who wants you saved and desires your salvation, was pleased to send the Son for your salvation, but you're not sure how you're supposed to relate to the Holy Spirit… The good news for you is this last book in the Bible, the Revelation, it talks so much about the Holy Spirit throughout. The Holy Spirit is everywhere here. In fact, when John introduces the whole thing, John who is writing this down, who is in exile out on a deserted island because of the gospel, when he first gets this revelation, when he sees this vision, he says in chapter 1 verse 4 that this is a letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia, seven churches that he knew well and wrote letters to specifically. He says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who was and who is and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He says to them, grace and peace to you from the one who was and is, to is and is to come. He's talking about the Father. And from the seven spirits of God, this is a phrase that John uses throughout Revelation. Perhaps you might understand it better as the sevenfold spirit of God, the spirit of God who is excellent above all spirits, the spirit of God who is how much better than other spirits seven times, the perfect spirit, God's spirit. And from Jesus Christ, this whole letter comes to us from the Father, from the Son, from the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 5, as we looked at uh, two Sunday nights ago, John says as he's looking at the throne room, and he's looking at the one who is able to open the scroll and bring about the work of God, he says, I looked and I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. He says, I saw Jesus this lion who made himself a slaughtered lamb for our sake. And Jesus, the lion slaughtered lamb, is standing 
uh, as the passage says, in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elder. And the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So there's the Lamb standing on the throne with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, on Christ to do the purpose that God has called Him to do, the Father. And verse 7, and He went and He took the scroll out of the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. It gets a little confusing if you're trying to draw a map of where everybody is, because Jesus is standing on the throne with the Holy Spirit on Him, and then Jesus goes and takes the scroll out of the person who's sitting on the throne, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this one God who is for us and working on our behalf. You see, the Holy Spirit is everywhere that God is working because He is God. I've told you perhaps the best way to understand this relationship is that God does all things together. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always at work together. And so perhaps this would be helpful for you to understand that in all things that God does, they are done by the will of the Father, by the actions of Jesus Christ, and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How does creation happen? God, the Father, wills it. The Son, the Word of God, does it. It's spoken into being by the Word. And the Holy Spirit is there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, hovering over the surface of the water, empowering creation to happen. When it comes to your salvation, don't you understand that it is the Father who desired for you to be saved? And it is the Son who came and did the work of your salvation, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. In all things, God works together in this way. So who is the Holy Spirit? Some have called Him the shy member of the Trinity. Not, not shy uh, in the way of deficient in any way, but the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to mind not getting a lot of attention. After all, Scripture is focused on you coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, and really the Holy Spirit's purpose is in drawing you to Christ. It's not shy in the way of uh, not having self-esteem, but the Holy Spirit's happy for you to, uh, the Holy Spirit is happy Himself to be in the background because His desire is to draw your attention towards Christ just as the Father's desire is to draw your attention towards Christ. So, my contention for us today is not that we've somehow forgotten about the Holy Spirit and shame on you, we need to talk about the Holy Spirit more. Let's rectify that. Let's talk about Him a lot. Rather, my purpose for us today is that we should know the Holy Spirit as He is, the one who is with you and who is at work today to draw you closer to Christ Jesus as your Lord. So let's pray and let's read Revelation chapter 22. Father God, I thank You that You've spoken to us. I thank You that You've given us such hope. And now I just pray that the reading of Your Word would be worshipful to You and that blessed would be all those who hear these words and believe them. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of the book, at the end of all things, after John tells us by a vision from God everything that is going to happen up to eternity, the attention of Scripture goes back to this time. And you have the very end is John in his time, after Christ has died, risen from the grave, and ascended into heaven and said, I'm coming back soon, all the way through our time, 
where we are awaiting Christ's return, that's where it ends, is at this time. Chapter 22, we'll start in verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophet, has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So what John's supposed to do here is not seal up the words and hide them as some others have been called to do at certain times, or as the disciples, you recall, Jesus tells the disciples regularly, don't tell anyone yet what you've seen. Seal it up until the right time, and then you can tell them. What the angel, what Jesus is saying to John is, no, no, go ahead and tell everybody what's happening. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to all the churches. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, your brother, uh, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. If you ever haven't known what to do, <laughs> if you ever just didn't know what to do, don't worry, John didn't either. He just, having seen all of this and writing it all down and doing it, he just falls at his feet to worship the angel, and the angel's like, get, get up, get up. I'm just a servant of God, just like you, and just like the prophets, and just like everybody else who worships the Lord. Let's worship God, he says. Verse 10, and then he said, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. This isn't to say, if you've been living in a sinful life and you know it today, if there's filth in your life, well, I guess better keep on. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, God is coming with judgment. So just know that those people out there who are doing evil, judgment's coming. And just know, for you who have chosen to live righteous and holy lives before God by the power of the Spirit, judgment's coming. He's not saying, well, just keep on going on doing what you were doing. What he's saying is, no, no, just know, for now it looks like things are just going on like they were yesterday, but they're not. They're all coming towards judgment. Just know that and believe it, he says. Verse 12, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, he says. He's referring to things he's talked about earlier in the book of Revelation, where there are the saints and the martyrs who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And after they wash their robes in the blood of Christ, the robes don't come out red. The robes come out white, spotless and clean. When you go to Christ, it is like our, we are stained with sin. We wear our sins around on our sleeve. Everybody knows. But when we go to Christ and ask for forgiveness, when we say, you know what, I'm done with that life, I'm changing, I'm out on that, and now I'm going to follow after Jesus, when we go to Him, He cleans us up. He forgives our sins. Look, though your sins are as crimson, the prophets say, He has washed you white as snow. And even here He says they're blessed, the final beatitude in the Bible. You recall when Jesus came and gave the Sermon on the Mount, He said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's a final blessing to add to that. Blessed are those, anyone 
who has washed their robes, that has come to Christ and allowed Him to forgive your sins and make you new. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to eat from the tree of life and may enter the city of God. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You know these people, and perhaps you've been one of them. But no longer. Not today. Now, today, listen to what the Spirit's calling you. The Spirit is calling you to come and find a new life in Jesus. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to attend to these things to you for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And here's the conclusion of it all. Both the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let anyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. It says, in the meantime, till Christ returns, the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, come here. Come to Jesus. And so the bride, that is the church, is also saying, you, come with us. Come to Jesus. And anybody who goes to Christ and drinks of the water of life, who has their sins forgiven, who has this hope for eternal life, everyone then turns back around and says to everyone else, come on, y'all come with us. Come and let the one who desires. Who's the person who gets to drink of the water of life and have eternal life? The one who desires. Who wants it today? Who would have hope in Christ? Who would have the forgiveness of their sin? Who desires this eternal life? Well, then come, because the Spirit of God is calling you, and the bride, that is the church, all of us are calling you. Verse 18, John speaking again, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share from the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And what's John's response? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then how does John conclude speaking to the church this letter he's written down? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Dear friends, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of you. Amen. This is how it ends. You've just finished reading the Bible today. Good on you. We got through the whole thing. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit's role in this. This describes, this passage, what is going on now, that Christ is going to return and the things in this letter of Revelation are going to happen as they are told. But until that point, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? First of all, the Holy Spirit's purpose in your life today is to draw your attention towards Christ. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life today, then the thing that the Holy Spirit is doing to work in your life today is to draw your attention towards Christ. Christ is our salvation. He is the water of life for us. So this book is true. The Holy Spirit is in your life today saying, come on, Come on, come 
anybody who desires it, come to the fountain, come to the water of life. You'll recall reading this, because the book of Revelation also, it ties together everything in the Bible up until this point. You might remember this talk about the water of life. In John chapter 4, Jesus, on purpose, is sitting at a well in the middle of the day, and a woman who, a woman of ill repute, so she comes to the well in the middle of the day when no one else is there and everybody else has already gotten their water for the day and moved on. She comes to hide out from people. Jesus is waiting right there to catch her just as he has planned. And he says, could you get me some water? And she's surprised at this. She knows who she is, and she knows she's also a Samaritan, not fully a member of the nation of Israel. She comes from a product of intermarrying with the other nations, and they're looked down on by Israelites. And she knows Jesus is an Israelite by looking at him. So she's surprised that he would even talk to her, that he'd even be sitting here at this well. And she voices this concern. She says, I'm surprised that you're talking to me and asking me about this. And what's Jesus' response to this woman? Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me for living water, and I'd give it to you. Jesus tells her that He is the living water. He is the one. He says, anybody who I give this water to, they become a spring themselves. A fountain of water wells up inside of them and spills over to other people. Jesus says, I am the water of life. I'm the one where if you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again. And then, just a few chapters later, John chapter 7, Jesus has gone to one of the three big festivals that all the Israelites gather up together in Jerusalem for. Three times a year, they gather up for a big festival. They're all gathered there for the Feast of Booths. And on the very last day of the feast, John chapter 7, the last day, the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and He cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture says, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit, Scripture says. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The very last day of this feast, where they're all supposed to be gathering together and thanking God that He provided a harvest for them, Jesus stands up, gathers everyone's attention, and says, if anybody is looking for some living water, anybody, let them come to Me and drink. The one who believes in Me will have a stream of living water flowing deep within them. Christ is the living water for us, the one who heals us, the one who nourishes us, the one who quenches our thirst, the one we were made to know, and we won't be satisfied until we know Him. All that deep-seated unsatisfaction in our life is there to draw you to Christ. And Christ has cried out, anyone who is thirsty, come to Me. I will bring you satisfaction. And now the Holy Spirit is calling to the church as well, come. Anyone who is thirsty, come and drink. And then God Himself, the Holy Spirit, is in us and with us. He comes to dwell with us, the Holy Spirit. He draws our attention to Christ initially, and then the Holy Spirit is on us for the rest of our lives to continue to draw us to Christ over and over again every day. It might seem strange that the Spirit is focused on Christ and not on Himself, but that's His good pleasure. For example, 
you know, you might think it's unusual. Why is, why is this Holy Spirit, this is God we're talking about, why is He so content to draw attention to Christ and not have any focus upon Himself? But you've seen this and you understand this, right? Because you know, because some of you are, these excellent Christian people who love to faithfully care and serve others and draw them to Christ, and you don't need anybody to know about it. You, so many of you gathered here today, are faithful servants of God who lovingly give generously and care for other people, and when you find out about a need, you take care of it, and you're not remotely interested in getting credit. To the point where if I called you out today and said, hey, y'all, you need to know about this member of ours and all this good stuff they did, you'd be upset with me for calling you out. Because your purpose was to draw other people's attention to Christ, yes? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us all in this behavior. If our good works, if our testimony, if our love and affection and generosity are to draw other people to Christ, it's only because we are led by the Holy Spirit. So, like the Spirit, we also don't really care if anybody knows who we are or what good things we've done. We simply allow the Spirit to work in our life, and we join the Holy Spirit. The Spirit says, let me draw your attention to Christ. The bride says, let me draw your attention to Christ. Who am I? Doesn't matter. Let me draw your attention to Christ. I've told you before, perhaps, the story of a pastor who I worked for named Chris, who when he went off to college, he went off to college for the purpose of living a terrible, filthy lifestyle. Like, he went off to college to be the one who started the parties. That was his goal when he went off to college. He knew Christ, he had been raised right, but he went off to college to go crazy. Like the prodigal son, his goal was to do whatever he wanted to. And uh, by Chris's testimony, he succeeded. He partied hard. One day, Saturday morning, Saturday lunchtime, which was morning to him because of the last night's activities, he walked into the school's cafeteria, bleary-eyed, unable to focus really, to get something to eat, exhausted and beat up, and the way sin doesn't actually fulfill you but leaves you depleted and unfulfilled, there he was standing in the cafeteria line to get some food, and he heard two guys who were right behind him in line came up, and they were just rejoicing talking about how great their Bible study was the night before, and what a joy it was to worship the Lord together, and all the great songs they got to sing. And Chris was just standing there hearing these two anonymous people behind him talk about what a joy it was to be fulfilled in the Lord, and how God had fulfilled their thirst. And Chris said to himself, yes, that's what I want, not what I'm doing. I'm going to go to Christ. Chris would tell you today, that's when he really converted his life and turned and repented of all of that and went and found the joy of the Lord. Those two guys, he doesn't know who they are. He never found out. He couldn't tell you. He just heard them talking about what God, how gracious God was and what a joy it was to worship the Lord. And that day for Chris, the Spirit said, come to Jesus, and the bride, the church members were saying, come to Jesus, and he came to Jesus. This is the way it works. The Holy Spirit is drawing our attention towards Christ. But that's not all He does. The Holy Spirit also speaks to the churches. Oh, was it last Sunday that we went on a marathon and looked at all of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, all seven letters to all seven churches that God wrote? And each letter, do you recall from last Sunday, begins with, this is what Jesus says to the church, and He describes Himself 
uh, the great I am, the one who holds everything, the alpha and the omega. He says, this is the letter to this church and to this church and to this church from Christ. But do you remember how each letter ends? Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It is Christ, the Word of God, who speaks, and it is the Holy Spirit who empowers our hearing of it. The Word of God we have in front of us, we have Scripture, we have Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit to hear. Let the one who has ears hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus speaks, but we understand and we know what He's saying and what He wants by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes there are things in Scripture that don't make sense to us. Can I get an amen? You know, <laughs> there, are, uh, there are things in Scripture that don't make sense to us. And sometimes there's somebody who comes and explains it to you. And then sometimes you say, ah, oh, I understand it. See, the Holy Spirit used this person to explain Scripture to me, and now I see it, and I get it, and it's clear as day. Other times, somebody comes and offers you an explanation of Scripture, and you go, I don't think so. You who are a believer, who have the Holy Spirit in your life, who have the Word of God in front of you, who are praying and asking the Spirit to make it clear to you, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, this is obviously what it means, and you go, hmm, because we have the Holy Spirit who illuminates it for us, who shows us what it means. Sometimes you don't know how to apply Scripture. You know what Jesus is saying to you. You understand what the passage says, but you're not sure what it means for you at work this week. You're not sure how you're going to apply this kindness and grace and love to the people who are around you. You don't know what you're going to do about your neighbors who are driving you crazy. You know what the Scripture says, but you're not sure how you're supposed to apply it. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear for us shows us exactly how we're to apply it. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit open your eyes to help you understand a Bible passage you didn't understand? I love the 23rd Psalm. It's a great psalm. You know it. <laughs> All of you know it. But it's so dense with information that every time you read it, there's a little something different that you focus in on and think about. For the longest time, just growing up and being a child, when I read the 23rd Psalm and it said, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want,' I, was, I had this vague, almost stoic understanding of I shall not want, this idea of, okay, Lord's my shepherd, I'm going to put away all desire, I shall not want anything, I'm just going to be all right because the Lord's my shepherd. And it wasn't until much later that the Holy Spirit woke me up to what all of you already understood, of course. Uh, I was young. The, whole, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it means I'm not going to be missing anything I need. It's not I'm going to curb all my desires and live this stoic, quiet life like a hermit. It's the Lord's my shepherd. I'm going to have everything I need. If He's the one leading me to pastures, well, let me tell you what, He's going to lead me to good pastures because He's a good shepherd. He's the one who's going to lay me down by still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to need, I'm not going to want for anything is what it means. See, this is what happens. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit open your eyes to what a passage means? He will do this. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit steer you to a certain Bible passage in your time of need? This happens all the time. I was reading one of my Bible professors uh, was writing about this, and I read it this week in preparation for the sermon. He said he was just going through 
a difficult season of illness in his life, and it was his first season of illness in his life, that first time when things start to not work right in your body. And he was, he was upset, and he was depressed, and he wasn't sure what to do, and he just, praying to God, knew that the Holy Spirit was drawing his attention to the 103rd Psalm. It says, the Lord is your deliverer. Rejoice even in your pain, because the Lord is the one who's going to deliver you and bring you about to health. The Holy Spirit works like this and will work like this for you as well. He steers us to the Bible passages we need. Uh, there's a joke about uh, young children and kids just trying to read the Bible by doing this <laughs> and seeing what comes of it. Where has God led me? And because of the way the Bible falls, you always end up in like Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Lamentation, and it's a little dark sometimes and you're not sure. This is not the best way to read the Scripture, just going because you always end up kind of in the middle where some harder things are happening just as the, the narrative goes and as Scripture goes. But still, the Holy Spirit will lead you to the right passages always, especially if you are seeking the Word of God continuously. As you look for and search Scripture, He will draw you to the right passages. You don't sit there and wait and say, Holy Spirit, I need a good passage. What do you got for me? You instead dive in to the Word of God and know it and read it and reread it, and then the Holy Spirit will draw your attention back to it. Has the Holy Spirit ever steered you to a certain application of Scripture? I have a friend who, having an extra car, he you know, couldn't bring himself to sell his old car, even though it kind of had some issues, and had another one, so he had a spare car at that point in his life. And he was listening and overhearing some people talking, uh, and this woman was talking about how her car had broken down and she didn't have a way to get around. And at that moment, the words of John the Baptist from Scripture were in his ear, saying, let the one who has two coats give to the person who has none. And he knew that the application of the passage, when John spoke to the very, these people came out to John to be baptized, and they said, what do we need to do to obey God? And John said, it's easy. Let the person who has two coats give to the one who has none. What's the application here? Well, that day and that moment, my friend knew the answer was, I have a set of keys for you. I have a spare car. Don't borrow it. Keep it. It's yours. Take the better of the two. I know how the old one works. Uh, I know the nuances of how to make it start with the screwdriver and all. And so, you know, you take the good one. Because God will bring you that sort of thing when you know Scripture and are devoted to it. The Holy Spirit will wake you up to the application of it, exactly what you're supposed to do because of what that passage says at that time. The Holy Spirit speaks to the churches today. What do you need to do? Fill yourself with Scripture so that the Holy Spirit will help you to understand it in His time and in His way. Next, the Holy Spirit... So, the Holy Spirit draws our attention to Christ. The Holy Spirit speaks to the churches. The Holy Spirit is the way that God is at work in the world today. As we talk about regularly, you know, what's the history of your life? What's the story of your life? All right, you've got a story and a history. You made some decisions. You went this way in life. You chose that job. You went to this school. You married this person. You know, you made some decisions. But the real story of your life is what Christ has been doing all of your life. Come to me, is what he's been saying. What's the story of America? This is awfully contentious lately. There are a lot of revisions and say, well, actually, the story of America is this. The real history is what's going on with oppression. 
no, the real history is what's going on with the founding fathers. No, no, the real history is this is the real story going on. The real story is what God has been doing throughout all time in history with all the nations. And the thing that He has been doing is this, saying to each person for almost 2,000 years now, come to me. This is the history of the world here at this last chapter in chapter 22. What's going on right now? What's God's plan and purpose? The Holy Spirit is saying, come. Come and have eternal life. Come and have the forgiveness of your sins. You didn't know it, but that's what He's been doing in your life all of your life, is trying to draw you to Him. If anything, our lives are a series of blunders not going to Him up until that day when we say, what am I doing? I'm going to go to Christ. Let today be the day when you wake up because the Holy Spirit is calling you to Him. The Holy Spirit says, come, and the bride, the church, that is, says, come. We, all of us, y'all, this is an incredibly evangelistic church by my estimation and measurement. Y'all do great at this. Choosing out what method you're going to share the gospel with somebody is sometimes like choosing fishing lures, right? And, uh, you know, like what works? You might at certain times go knock on some doors of your neighbors and say, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's saying, come. I want you to come to church with me. It might be at other times in your life you go and do a Bible study someplace. Perhaps you go on a mission trip somewhere. You just run into somebody in the parking lot at Aldi, and you say, hey, by the way, the Holy Spirit's saying, come. He wants you to know God, and so why don't you? What's holding you back? It's anybody who desires you want in. We've got all kinds of methods. It's like fishing lures. You just got to pick which one's the right to cast at the time. And there are certain conditions which certain things work better than other things. There are times in which knocking on doors works well. There's times when in very remote villages in, middle, uh, in Central America, as we've done, we simply gather together in a public square with a bunch of shoes and socks and all these children who don't have shoes and socks on are barefoot uh, and their feet then having all the problems that one has, whether it's uh, worms and, and other things like this or just, you know, general roughness. They just gather up and we can wash their feet and put shoes and socks on them for the first time in their life, and put a little salvation bracelet on them and say, hey, listen, this is a small gift, but the bigger gift is that Christ has forgiven our sins. Different lures work better in different situations. And to be sure, there are some people who are really good at sharing the gospel out there. I mean, they're just good. It's like fishermen who know exactly what lure to use, right? I like to go fishing. I don't usually know what I'm doing. I just enjoy going fishing. I especially enjoy catching, but I'm out there. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go fishing today, and I'll go talk to some old fisherman. I'm like, no, no, no. The water temperature is 45 degrees today. You really only go when it's 40 degrees. Don't go out there yet. Wait a couple more days. It'll cool off, and then you're going to go fishing, and then you'll catch some stuff. Or I'll go out there, and what I want to use, doesn't matter what time of year, is some big, heavy, fat topwater lure, because I'm going for gold. I want the biggest fish in the lake, and so I'm going to throw that thing out there, and it's so much fun to watch this lure, you know, paddle along on top of the water and make splashes and noises, and it's colorful. But I'm out there with a fisherman who says, what are you doing? <laughs> it's who will say to me, I admit there's an outside chance that some fish will come and bite that lure. But this season, this time of year, all you want is the wacky worm and ladybug red hooked on like this, drop it down to the bottom and just let it sit there and it's about to happen. Sure enough, I'm going, no, no, I want some excitement. <laughs> and, uh, and the other guy who's just sitting there calmly with his wacky worm at the bottom of the lake is actually catching fish and I'm not. So our, our, my point is our methods change over time, right? And we've done all kinds of stuff, you dear evangelistic church. We have, in fact, together, 
gone out in groups and just knocked on doors, like everybody within a two-mile radius of this church. We've knocked on their door, and they didn't answer the door, we put a door hanger on. We've done revivals and invited people. Some of you are members of this church because somebody knocked on your door or because you came to revival. We've had all kinds of you just run into people in parking lots and know you needed to talk to them, or because of whatever sport or club or hobby you did, or because you're a horse person, uh, have suddenly made friends and invited other people to trusting God. We've done after-school Bible clubs. Uh, We used to, for those of us who went and did the Good News after-school Bible clubs at Chucker Creek Elementary and at Greendale Elementary, it was a delight to get to go in there and have the principal say, yes, come in here. Uh, You share the gospel. Uh, and so we did, and we got to, and it was a joy. And then we've been off for two years because of COVID. And then I see these children who, two years is a long time when you're going from five to seven. <laughs> I see these children who are now giants and go, I know you. Or the kids come up to me and go, I know you. I remember you. We've invited kids back to our church for Easter, for VBS. We've done mailers. We've gone to the fair and painted faces and just painted using the colors of the salvation bracelet and shared the gospel while we painted kids' faces. We've shared the gospel, as they say, by washing feet. We've shared the gospel by writing letters to our friends. Some of you said, I have this family member, this cousin or brother who I just want to know Christ. And I said, write him a letter. I'll help you. I'll proofread it if you want to. You didn't know all the words to say, so you just wrote it down and stuck it in the mail. We've done all sorts of stuff. We fished with every lure. Most recently, back in the fall, we did the Who's Your One campaign, where for a month, as easy as it can be, you just pick out a person and pray for them every day for a month and see what happens. And sure enough, this both changed our attitudes and, because God actually answers prayer, worked in their lives, and we saw people come to trust Christ and come to follow after Him. What's next? What's our next lure? It doesn't much matter. We change them periodically. We see what works. If something doesn't work, we don't go back to that one. We leave it out of the tackle box. If something else works, we'll keep using it until it doesn't. I like for us to do some kind of annual training or concentration. We'll probably do another sort of Who's Your One program again this next year. Good News Club is slated to start again in the fall, and I'm already really excited about it because of how many years these children have missed. I'm focusing on my neighborhood. I was telling a friend that I met today, uh, one thing I've been doing, I've, I've knocked on the doors of my neighborhood and left out door hangers and invited some people, whoever answered, you know, to church, but it's been a couple of years now, and I don't know everybody, and my neighborhood's not that big. I, so I got a map, and I did a spreadsheet of all the addresses. There's only 138 houses in my neighborhood. That's a small neighborhood, if you're guessing. I know certain people, and so here's the neighbors I do know, and here's all the ones I don't know, and I can at least go and meet and get to know these neighbors and find out, hey, how are you? I'm just your neighbor. We just haven't met yet. I've been living here for six years, and we haven't met yet. This is the way it goes with neighbors, yes? And in that way, let's try something else and see if it works out. Our North American Mission Board reached out to me and said there are churches in Rhode Island, church plants that need some help and some assistance and some sponsors. Would your church be interested? And I said, maybe. Usually, we're the ones who go out and find churches to help out, and now the churches are coming to us and saying, we could use your help sharing the gospel in Providence, Rhode Island, the birthplace of American Baptists, and now one of the most lost places in America. I think we could do that, perhaps. What lure? What method? It doesn't matter. Just cast something. Uh, Let's not be the kind of people who just sort of poo-poo different ideas and say, "Mm, that'll never work, but we ourselves cast nothing. See, the Holy Spirit is calling and saying, come. And so, if you're a member of the bride, you too have to say, yes, come on. 
Come and know. Come and drink from the water of life. Finally, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So as we've said, the Holy Spirit draws our attention towards Christ. The Holy Spirit speaks to the churches and will help you to understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit is God's way of working in the world. We, we change methods. God doesn't need to. The Holy Spirit is the method. From Christ's ascension into heaven until this day, the Holy Spirit is saying, come, come on, and He hasn't changed. He doesn't need to. It's the perfect call but we need to join in. And finally, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17 says, How great is the day of the Lord's wrath. Who can stand it? The very end of chapter 6, what's been happening there in chapter 6 is all of the wrath of God poured out on sin and on sinners. And it's terrible and terrifying. And the very end of chapter 6 says, Oh my goodness, the terrible wrath of the Lord. Who can survive it? Who can stand it? And then chapter 7 answers that question. Before that wrath is poured out, there are a certain number from the nation of Israel who are sealed. The idea is that they will endure and be able to overcome. And then the next thing that happens after they're all sealed is they join into this great multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who have themselves been sealed. It's everybody else. All these who have been sealed by God's power and so will be held by God until the end, no matter what happens. You and I, if we've trusted Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, and we were singing about it this morning. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, who's writing it, he just breaks out in praise for everything that God's done. Ephesians chapter 1 is great. He's writing to this church and he says, y'all, thanks be to God because He's given us redemption by His blood. Thanks be to God because He's made reconciliation for us. Thanks be to God because all this grace He has lavished all over us. He, says, he, he chose us out. He predestined us for His good pleasure and by His good pleasure. Thanks be to God because He's given us an inheritance in the heavenly places. And then he closes this way. Thanks be to God because, verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, because in Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed it. When you heard it and you believed it, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of God's glory. Surely plenty of people who make some kind of commitment to Christ later on in their life seem to walk away from it. I can't give you any assurance for anyone else's salvation. Periodically, somebody will come up to me grieving over the loss of a loved one and say, well, they hadn't followed Christ for decades now, but they did make a commitment back when they were a child at VBS. Is that something? Is that, is that good? And all I can tell them is, I can't give you any assurance one way or another for any person. All I can tell you is that for you, you can have your assurance. See, the case for other people, surely there will be plenty of people who say, Lord, Lord, who make a commitment to Christ and will later walk away from it in life. We're to understand these ones were never properly trusting Christ. But we can know for ourselves, you who worry about having lost your salvation, you need to worry no longer. The idea is this, if you could lose your salvation, 
you would. If I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it by now. One of my children can lose anything. It's like their spiritual gift. It doesn't matter what they have, they can lose it. I mean, it could be giant. I could give them a car. How did you lose a car? How did you lose something? It was a dog. It was alive. How did you lose it? I have a child who's just good at losing things, and you and I are perhaps like this. If we could lose our salvation, we would. But we're not the ones who hold it, and so we can't lose it. Christ holds our salvation. What do we have? A seal on our lives that no one can break. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. Brothers and sisters, come and follow Christ and endure until the very end because we have the Holy Spirit on us, and it is by His power that He holds us and will hold us fast until the very end. Trust the Holy Spirit of God to hold you tight. This is the only application that you need to trust that the Holy Spirit is holding on to you in all things. Where shall we conclude in this passage today? Perhaps like this. Let the one who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. And the Holy Spirit says, come. And the bride says, so the Holy Spirit is saying, come. And what does the bride say? And let the one who comes, let anyone who is thirsty, let them come and drink from the water of life freely.